Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where do you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Very excited for my guest today, and yes, I did use the word excited twice. That's how excited I am, three times. Um, it is magician, comedian, producer, Food Network host, Justin Willman. He is the creator and the star of Magic for Humans, which is now in its third season on Netflix. He makes regular appearances on late night and daytime TV. He hosts Cupcake Wars, Halloween Wars, and King of Cones on Food Network, and he has created socially distancing magic kits. Did I say that right? You you did. I mean, the intro is okay. really good. This is a really good intro. So the social distancing magician starter kit. Oh, so then I did it. You lied to me. Well, you yeah, I, I think you just said socially distancing, but it really it does it's it was perfect. I mean, it was there was oh a my, there was a was, ly at the end, but I wouldn't have corrected you if you hadn't asked me. I would call that room for improvement. I'd say we're good. I'm going to rename them. All right. I'll I'll <laughs> I'll fix the typo that I made. <laughs> oh, yes. Um thank you for that's very gracious of you. Uh Justin Wilman, Th- hello. Thanks for Welcome. having me. It's good to How be here. How are you here. doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to to be to, for you to be my new best friend. Do you? How does I, your current best I, friend? I'm curious feel about, about it, the, the title. It's Allison Rosen is your new best friend. <clears throat> There's no implying though that that they are your new best friend. No, it's pretty one way. That's how you. I feel like as a magician, you should key right in on this. That's I respect how I it. Keep it that's on the back end or whatever it is that you guys call like how you actually do this. We the call it, illusions. I mean, in magic, there's a, they, there's a term called dual reality, which is where oh. two different people have two different realities of what just happened. They both mm. might be amazed, but one person's reality might be a little bit more impossible than the other. I've already said too much. We're like a minute in. I'm already divulging secrets. But um, yeah, I do, re- I do respect the one the way magic psychology. That I- Sorry, say it again. No, I said I respect the one-way psychology of the best friend yeah. thing. So wait, let's go back into... I'm sorry. I'm so distracted by the fact that I brought a pen in and I can't find it, but I just found it. And it is important Wouldn't that I have cool it. So I had one it? second. If I had it. <gasps> oh my God. But I don't. You, can you I can't pull it, find my pen. Can you pull it out of my ear or, or something? I'm sorry if, if that's if like a If we were in the same thing. room, I could, I could pull it out of your ear, but... okay. You know, I see it, and it's right next to my wedding ring. Did you do that? What, what this <laughs> wedding ring? <gasps> oh my god! Hang on a second. Okay, 
I don't know if I'm more nervous about not having my ring or my pen, but anyway, I think now your I pen. have both. I think you were more stressed about the pen. The ring <laughs> I mean, because was- I need it right now. I need it more. But in general, if I lost, like the ring's insured. This pen is not. <laughs> it's it's not a great insured. pen, but it's yeah. not insured. Um, okay. So I want to delve more into this dual reality thing. So that applies to audience members, like two audience members could have a different interpretation. I of mean, an this is a deep concept in magic that we're diving into. I would say it is. Okay. Let's say one dual reality would be that the person on stage is maybe has. Oh God, what's that? It's hard to explain this without giving you an example. Um, do you want to give me an example? Let's say I know, well, I, I could give you an example, but then I, I, I would, I would get in trouble by the, the alliance of magicians. You know, Job oh. would show up at my doorstep. Uh, just in some tricks, you know, the, the trick experience for one person is different than the other. You know, uh, what the audience sees a magician floating is one thing, but the person on stage maybe, they see a little bit more than the audience sees. Maybe they're they're still impressed, but mm. they maybe know a little bit more about the workings of what's happening than the audience. I member. see. I'll give you that much. If that make if that makes any sense. That totally makes sense. I actually have been wondering. I was watching some of Magic for Humans, which, by the way, my husband Daniel wants me to tell you, you're the only magician he likes. Wow, that's oh, I love that. You what must, a ba- you what a backhanded compliment. So before me, he would have said, I don't like magicians. Yeah. No, but I do. That's my favorite. I think it's the insecure comedian in me that, you know, who focuses on the one audience member not laughing. They become your challenge, your mission. So I think as a magician, I'm kind of like, I do love the people who love magic. That's great. But I love converting someone who is like, I would never go to a magic show to be like, no, okay, I, I would tolerate it for the right ticket price. I would go. The weird thing is that I don't, he, like, in my mind, I have sort of the, my idea of like the standard guy who doesn't like magic. And that's actually not my husband. So I don't know. But anyway. So when he said this, were you surprised? Were you like, oh, wow, I, I, uh, I didn't know that about you. That you are so judgmental and, and Mm anti-magic, except for Justin Wilman. Um, he, he, yesterday, I told him that I was interviewing you today and I, I'm like, he's a magician. He hosts Cupcake Wars and there wasn't a flicker of recognition. And then today I was watching some of your videos um, and he's like, oh, is that the guy you're interviewing? I watch his show on Netflix. And then later he's like, oh, tell him he's like, he's like the only magician I like. I love that. I don't know. And, and it's so funny that that doesn't seem like a crazy statement. But if someone was like, <laughs> oh, uh, you know. Bon Jovi, that's the only musician I like. Right. <laughs> you know, if someone had only one musician that they liked, mm-hmm. uh, you know, James Joyce, that's the only author I like. Right. Right. It's, it's inter- Magic is, is such a narrow little uh, uh, art form that it's like I can, li- I can like one of them without it being socially uh, unusual. <laughs> so I, I do want to get into that more, but – I was watching Magic for Humans and um, I was watching like the one and see, I, I'm not trying to get you to tell me how this is done. But uh, for example, the uh, the trick, do you, you do you call it a trick? You I call, call it a trick, right? Yeah. Yeah, the tricks. trick with, with the helmet that they're wearing that yeah. makes them really smart. Mm-hmm. Would someone in that bit have a different reality than, say, me watching it? Oh, wow. Interesting. 
Um, yeah, well, yeah, slightly. They, I mean, without giving too much away, like the girl who recited Pi, like she doesn't know how she did it. She doesn't know necessarily how that information came to her. However, mm-hmm. it, it, it did. So for her, like she, it's a different reality for her. For someone watching, it's like well, we have nothing to go off of. We're not in that helmet. We're not you. Like the girl right. solving the Rubik's Cube doesn't know how she solved the Rubik's Cube. But if she, you know, she would maybe describe the experience differently than her friend who was watching it, you know, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah. Yes. And that's how it is sometimes in magic. But I feel like there's also that experience with, you know, live comedy versus watching a special. Like you can mm-hmm. watch a special and you're like, this is not funny. But the people there are all dying, you know, like when you're there watching it in person, it's like it's electric because you're connecting, you know, like, so I think yeah. watching comedy on TV is kind of like watching magic on TV where you're naturally like a mile away from it. So you mm-hmm. really have to somehow, um, you know, make up that difference and it can be hard. And sometimes it, it, you know, doesn't happen. I feel like you do a really good job of it. Well, thank you. I mean, I try to exploit the the thing that you can do on TV that you maybe can't do on stage is, is like proximity, like, and what we're able to do on zoom here you know, is as opposed to if we were just, if it was just audio, like we were trying to bridge the the gap here and, and connect. So like on TV, you can do stuff that's plays much smaller, is intimate, or it, people will forget that they're being filmed. Like no one will ever, if I get somebody up on stage, they'll never forget that they're on stage. There's bright lights. You can hear people laughing and you can't stop thinking about that. Everyone's looking at you. But on when you're filming with people on the streets, we try, I try to have the cameras backed up a little bit just so it's not always up in your face so that people behave like humans as mm-hmm. much as possible. Kids kids are great at forgetting that the ca- there's a camera there, you know, and kids will very quickly just behave normal and say what, say whatever they want, which is a beautiful thing. Right. Why do you think that is? Because I'm wondering, is it because for a kid, they're around authority figures and people who are sort of telling them what to do all the time. So being just in the world around adults or school is not that different than being on a show where something is expected. Well, kids are, I mean, kids are naturally, I think more unfiltered and idealistic and especially enamored by magic, you know? And I think adults like we're so jaded by, Oh, we've seen so many shows where, you know, uh, they make the person look stupid or, uh, you know, you could imagine we've all watched stuff where we're like, Oh my God, I'm so glad that isn't me. Cringy. Like <laughs> they must be so embarrassed. So we, as soon as there's a camera rolling, we're going to be on TV. We're instantly thinking like, uh, everyone I know is going to see this. Oh God, it's going to live forever. Uh, how does my hair look? Is my, my shirt? Okay. Don't say anything stupid. And I think mm-hmm. kids just don't think about that kind of thing, you know? Right. I mean, maybe yeah, in Hollywood, like sometimes we'll run into kids and, like a lot of the kids you run into or that we try to maybe do a bit with on the show are like also happen to be aspiring child actors. And (laughs) it's like, if you can't get them to turn that off and just behave normal, it just doesn't feel good. It feels plastic, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think there's a typical magician personality and do you have it? Hmm. I mean, there's like, Interesting. I mean, I'm, I must have, obviously I am a magician. I'm, I, I love magic. I nerd out over it. So there's like, uh, 
uh, you know, I, I have maybe this more basic personality trait that magicians must have. But I think like there's like the cliches if you think about magicians and, you know, I don't want to like try to project these cliches more, but, you know, there's a little bit of a, a nerdy, maybe sometimes creepy thing. And I feel like, <laughs> you know, like, cause it's like, uh, I, I, I know I became a magician. Like I gravitated to magic because I was socially awkward and also, um, you know, like not just around girls, but just kind of like, you know, I didn't really have a click that I fit in. So I'm like kind of always grappling with like, uh, how do I say what you want me to say? How do I kind of be cool? How do I act normal? How do I make it look like I'm not trying? And magic mm-hmm. is this art form where, you know, you can be alone for a little while, learn these things, practice, and then you can figure out what you're going to say at different parts of a trick. And then when you're doing it, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm kind of conversing and interacting with people, but I've already, I've already done this in my head. I kind of know what to say, what to do, and I know how this trick's going to end. So it's a little bit of control in the world mm-hmm. where we have no control. Uh, so I know I have that. Not every magician, of course, like gets into magic for that purpose, purpose, or at least, you know, is a part of it. But that for me was something. So there can be a socially awkward personality trait of magicians and it's not everybody. And, you know, that's kind of partially cliche, but I know for me it was a thing. And I think I went to magic camp as a kid, by the way. So it's like a bunch of these socially awkward kids in their socially awkward prime. <laughs> and somehow like it's a be- it's a beautiful, everyone's socially awkward together. So there's no like, you know, sure there's the cool, the cool kid at magic camp, but for the most part, it's like a, you're kind of amongst your own. Uh, mm-hmm. When do you, when you think of a magician, personality. I mean, I'm sure your husband would have a very specific answer about whatever trade it is that he despises about magicians. I'm curious. I feel that you and my husband have got off on the wrong. You and I are fine, but you and he have got off on the wrong. Foot. I love your husband. He's accident- <laughs> I love your husband. Okay, okay good. Yeah. <laughs> he, it's not a wrong foot if he said that he likes me. That's true. Yeah. But he, but he, but I feel like you have an understandable magician's loyalty and defensiveness and that I hadn't factored in when I relayed that compliment. Well, I like, I love magic and I love magicians. However, I'm also, you know, like, I'm also like a magic snob. So there's tons of magic that I hate and there's a lot of magicians that I just don't like you know, like the way they do things grates on me, you know? Yeah. I Um, think those are the ones that he doesn't like. Yeah. Like my wife, like when (laughs) when we go to the magic castle, you know, we're with some friends and it's supposed to be fun. Like I am a squirmy mess in a bad magic show because it like pains me, you know, like just like I, I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm trying to think of, it's it's probably like somebody watching their favorite sports team just lose, you know, point Mm -hmm. after point after point. And you're just kind of feeling every fist. Because I know that people, I mean, like what we talked about earlier, I know that people don't see live magic a lot. And I know that people are judging the entire art form often based on what they see in that night at the Magic Castle. They might not see magic in person for five more years. So I get so like, I get so precious about people's experience and and opinion about magic. So maybe your husband feels that way because of a, you know, a crappy night at the Magic Castle. I don't know. <laughs> I should find out why he feels that way. Yeah. I feel like, is there, you might know about this, is there like a muse, a museum 
under a building that has a bunch of magic stuff? Is that ringing a bell? There, well, the Magic Castle like- has a basement. They, there's a part of it that they call the museum uh, no, where it's, it's some artifacts. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. You know what? This is not about him. I've made it about him, but it's not about him. Um, I think the reason I was asking, so uh, my dad was very, very good friends with Harry Blackstone Jr. And we used to spend holidays with them. Um, and in his act, there was like, the thing that my dad always made me aware of in his act was the crowd control. Like when he invites a whole bunch of people up on stage to do the birdcage trick, mm-hmm. they he needs to be dominating that situation. Yes. Um, and so I think of a magician as someone who is able to dominate a situation and i don't mean like be domineering but i just mean have excellent crowd control dominate be in power or control um and so i just to fully put no pun my to lay my cards out i was wondering what it would be like to interview a magician because obviously in interviewing there there has to be a level of trust to have like an honest exchange but i in watching you i didn't get the sense that it would actually be problematic because you seem like a very and i listened to you on on you know podcasts and so i've sort of like familiarized myself with you you seem very open and honest um but i just wondered how that would work and then also there is sort of the the pop culture notion we have of magicians that you had mentioned earlier of like they're a little bit creepy or they're a little bit i don't you know the my sentence trailed no off, the but control you know. the control thing that's a good that's you know i think the confidence that it takes to like you know what needs to happen a magician knows what needs to happen in a situation for a thing to work so just like a you know a good comic will shut down a heckler if it's going to derail the, a joke like in magic um, you know, obviously you want everything to feel loose and free and natural, but if something, if somebody throws a wrench into the gears, it's like you, magician has to like with by force steer this thing back in the right direction. So it's funny you say Harry Blackstone Jr. So he's the first magician I ever saw as a kid. I think right. I was maybe five, six years old at the Fox Theater in St. Louis, Missouri. And he was just, I mean, incredible. He had this booming voice, but he would do, like you said, the vanishing birdcage trick on stage. And he, he would do it once, make it disappear. Then he'd go get a second cage. And then he would invite all the kids up from the audience to put their hands right. on the cage. And I remember being one of those kids. I couldn't wait. And I was like a little, just a little, just a little prick. Cause I remember <laughs> intentionally trying to hook my finger in, in, oh, no. in between the wires of this cage. I don't know what I was thinking, like as a challenge to him, like, oh, I try to, I dare you to make this cage disappear if I'm really holding on to it. And, uh, I just remember him just kind of just being like, and, you know, like, and I remember going like, ow, like, oh, did it pinch you a little bit, but it, it cage, the cage vanished. And I, he, you know, I'm sure he's used to kids like me trying to be a little, a little, little jerk trying to mess up a trick. And, <laughs> You know, he just knows what he is doing. So I think that is a good point about there's a control, there's a, there's a confidence and kind of a, you know, I mean, a, a power stance that a magician needs to take in a situation to make it go right. And I think it takes years to make that power domineering part be invisible, you know, and only come out when mm-hmm. it needs to, for example. So, so I think I've, I've spent years trying to, 
take the unappealing aspects of whatever magic personality traits I've inherited and, you know, diminish them and only have them, you know, show their, show their selves when necessary. So that's mm-hmm. why I try to be an, you know, an open book. I found that a magician who, you know, like this kind of a flawless, all powerful magician, like you're just setting yourself up for the time where something goes wrong and you look like an idiot. So I find this much more human, fallible thing to not just be, you know, easier to pull off because stuff will go wrong and you could, you know, roll it, roll with it and laugh it off. But I just think it makes you more human. And maybe that's something that magicians take a little while to learn how to do is to be doing magic, but also feel like you're a human being, a normal Mm -hmm. person. Yeah. Why did you name the show Magic for Humans? Hmm. Well, um, it wasn't the first title I had. The show went through a few, like I wanted to at one point, like called, call it Justin Wonders kind of. So it's like a, you know, the show's my wonders of magic, but also like, hmm, wonders, like a curious quest for knowledge. Cause that's, you know, as the show became this, the show where we explore a theme every episode and we try to, you know, use magic as the foot in the door to, whatever these like human condition themes are. Um, it's kind of this curious quest. That's I think just when magic for humans came about, it was like, well, it's a show about being human, but also it's magic for humans, which means everybody, you know, to have it be a show that kind of is, you know, a big, a big warm hug, just mm-hmm. kind of, just kind of felt like the right name. Yeah. And I heard you say that this show kind of grew out of a few attempts that didn't go. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about that process a little bit? Well, you know, like I've been in LA since 2001. So 19 years. From St. Louis? Well, I went to Emerson College in Boston. Yeah. And then moved out here for my second semester of my senior year. And then I think, you know, everyone, especially when we came out here, I live with my best friend, Dan Levy, who's a stand-up comedian, and I would kind of go with him and we would do comedy nights and stuff. And you just hear left and right about, oh my God, he got a development deal. She's making a pilot, you know, all these things. And it feels so attainable, you know? So pretty quick, you're kind of like trying to come up with what's your what's your thing, what's your show? And obviously, I was way too green and ready for it at that point. And then finally, fast forward, it was probably 15 years later, I got a pilot on Comedy Central called Sleight of Mouth, where it was kind of like a Chappelle show format on stage, doing a trick for an audience, but then tossed into clips. And they didn't pick it up, but they aired it. And then we did another one that was kind of like a show where I solve America's problems, kind of like Colbert Rapport magic thing. But it just felt not fully authentic because, you know, I something about making magic divisive, you know, and political, it kind of felt like, mm. why are you taking this pure thing and making half the audience hate you for it. So, but it was a good learning experience. And those, you know, but each one of those had a little nugget of something that was a good, some good. So I just kind of got rid of the bad and took the good and kind of balled it up and we repitched it to Netflix. And it was like the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you feel ground down by that process? And I, um, I know that you went to rehab, right? When you were 25. I did. Yeah. Uh, and you had, so that was on, um, Alexi Wasser's podcast that I heard that. And you, you were starting to talk about just 
like how you sort of got into doing drugs and your experience of coming to LA. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about Mm. that? Like, did that have to do with feeling rejected? I think it had to do with, um, I think it had to do at first with feeling um, like I needed some sort of a leg up, like you, you know, like pro, like a productivity boost, uh, kind of like a, how, I, I, there's more that I want to do. I need to do this. How do I keep up? How do I succeed mm-hmm. when all these people around me seem to be more talented or how do they, it seems like they have more hours in the day. So that's when kind of like, you know, the, the uppers or the speed kind of seems like a good solution at the time. And then very quickly, I mean, and it fools you into thinking it is for a very brief time. And then it very quickly becomes like, wow, uh, I did nothing today, but that that's not good. Mm -hmm. And, um, how, how quickly did that happen? Hmm. A month or two, a couple months. Wow. Yeah. But then it kind of becomes this crutch that you don't know how to, you know, you don't know how to wean off of. There's never a good time, you know, but I, I, you know, it's funny. I don't know that it came from, I mean, I'm sure some, some of it, I'm sure there's a lot of like control issues, a part of that and kind of just wanting to be able to uh, be the master of your own domain and, you know, uh, the, the cover up your insecurities that hold you back or your, um, laziness. I've never been been lazy, but I would always beat myself up for it. And, you know, not, not beat myself up for not doing as many things as I know I could get done. Um, but, but nothing good happened until like after, after I was 25, after rehabbing and, you know, things kind of really, that's when magically that things kind of started to come into fruition. So what was your experience in rehab like? Um, I loved it. I loved it. Like I, you know, like I'm sure just, just like people, you know, people who smoke and you're like, I want to quit smoking, but, but you make up in your head how bad quitting smoking is going to be and how oh, I'm going to feel really crappy for so long. There's never a good time to do this. Uh, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I'm going to be so hard to be around. Like you make up how bad it's going to be. And mm-hmm. it's not that it's that bad. It's like, you know, the addiction trying to stick around and kind of play a mind game on you into thinking that you can't get by without it. So for me, like it was, I was kind of hiding this thing for so long. I mean, there's a lot of parallels to magic here. Like obviously being kind of a, you know, a a master manipulator, secret keeper. And, you know, as a magician, you keep secrets. So I was kind of like keeping these secrets from the people close to me in, in real life. And, it was a chance to, and it's a burden you carry around with you. It's so much stress thinking about, you know, who, who you've, what, what you've told one person to cover up this or that. So it was a chance to just like, ah, oh, come clean. It was a big weight lifted and to be able to like say, cause I have, you know, oh, I've got too many shows to go to rehab, but it's like, okay, we're going to have you, you buddies, you cover these shows for me. This, 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 I'm going to vanish for a couple months and, uh, it was just a beautiful load off and a chance to just work on yourself. And did you, did you check yourself in or was there an intervention? There was a, there was a little intervention with my girlfriend at the time and my, uh, uh, and my family that kind of, you know, the kind of the jig was up and Mm. yeah, it was just such a relief. Yeah. 
Yeah. Big time. To not be living with that secret. Exactly. And to not be like having to manage it. Not, yeah. And just to not feel like you're, uh, you know, um, being held hostage by, by something, you know, that you kind of hate, you hate that you are so strong and confident and, uh, ambitious in the, all these other areas, but that you're, you know, kind of just, you're, uh, you're just a lackey, you know, you're in this, to this other thing that nobody sees, you know? So it was very freeing. Do you consider yourself an insecure person? Because you, you really don't seem insecure at all, but you said something earlier about, you know, feeling like you didn't fit in or didn't know how, how to handle yeah. social situations as a youngster. I mean, I, I am. I, I, I think that I, I am. In certain ways, I'm not like I've, I've got a, you know, a healthy confidence, but I feel like there's, there's this, you know, I guess it's imposter syndrome where, you know, you're kind of thrust into this world and you move to Los Angeles and you're a, you know, a little fish in this huge pond. And when good things start to happen, you kind of, I mean, I I think it's a, at first it's a good thing to feel like, Oh my God, am I, am I good enough? Like, you know, I I think that the flip side is like, yeah, I deserve this. Every little good thing that happens. Yes, that's right. More bring it on. I feel like, um, you know, there was always a little bit of like, well, I'm not the best magician. I mean, for a while I was, you know, very hacky and very just kind of like derivative and, you know, like watching those old tapes back. I'm like, Oh God, I can't believe I, you know, thought this was good, but I know that I was kind of insecure about it at the time. Um, and it just took, it just took a while to, you know, to shed insecurities and be confident to be totally just real and authentic and kind of show your, show your cracks, you know, make, make, mm-hmm. th- make that what makes it special. Derivative and hacky. In, like, like in your, in my jokes, in my choice of material performance wise, <clears throat> you know, like, um, you know, like in magic, there's a lot of magicians can get away. Like the, there's a reason why, you know, if you go to the magic castle, you might, if you go one week and you go a week later, you might be like, huh, I feel like I saw some of the same tricks. Cause there's like in magic, you can, you can get by by buying existing tricks that are out there and kind of just doing it the way magicians do it. And because people don't see magicians a lot, they might just, they, they might never see the, they might never know the fact that you're doing a trick that is not original and mm-hmm. you can get by in your own little bubble. You, you know, if you're a magician doing local gigs in Seattle, no one you perform for will ever know that you're kind of doing, you know, you've kind of ripped off somebody else's trick and you can, you can coast by that. And also just, you know, like doing hacky, low, low hanging fruit jokes that get laughs and people don't know that they're not your jokes. Like all those things that, that in a, in, in, you know, when you're a, big fish in a small pond might fly, um, mm. you know, but you kind of don't feel good. At least, you know, you don't feel good if you're doing material that is not original. Nothing feels better than like shedding something that maybe works, but coming up with crafting something that is unique and your own. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got by doing for a while until, until I kind of saw the light you know, and I had enough good friends who were comics that I would tour with and stuff. And they would just, you know, call me out on my BS jokes or whatever one-liners that I would fall back on to, to, to get a laugh. And 
and write new stuff. Do you, when you think up a new trick, do you, um, are there people you work with to design stuff or like, is ever, do you do everything yourself? How does that work? Um, for my live show, like it's, it's a lot of solitary stuff, but I've got a little brain trust of people who I'll, I'll bounce ideas off of or pick their brain and, you know, uh, people much smarter than me who will give me great guidance. And then for magic for humans, you know, it's a fun creative process because we'll, We'll have uh, the writing period, which will be me, uh, one other magician who's kind of my co-executive producer who is a genius, and then like five or six comedy writers who have no magic knowledge whatsoever, but get how magic can be funny. And we'll kind of write the season, not knowing how we're going to pull any of it off. We'll, we'll write for two, three months, and then we'll get like the magic brain trust together. And it's maybe, you know, eight to 10 magicians, many of them I've known my whole life. And each one of them is kind of like an Avenger who has like a very specific specialty. <laughs> and we'll just figure out how to, how to pull this stuff off or write a new version of it that is achievable. And, 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 and I love that because I love having the show not be written with constraints in mind, you know, oh, well, mm -hmm. we don't know how to do that. So we're not even going to bother pitching that idea. It's kind of fun to have a blue sky and then narrow it in because you'll you'll definitely have stuff that ends up on screen that you know hasn't been done before that way mm -hmm. um i love the video series that you have been doing during quarantine with your son mm -hmm. those are great thank you um in each of them he kind of messes up the trick and then we we see how it's done right right um how did did that, was that the intention at the beginning? Did that just happen? And then you're like, this is great. I'm going to go with it. That was kind of a happy accident, maybe two or three of the videos in. Because as soon as the camera was rolling, like he automatically like tried not to smile, would get really weird and like introverted. <laughs> and I think the first one where he busted the trick was like pulling the diaper out of the cup and and I kind of... Right. So you pour water into a cup and then the water magically disappears. Right. And then he, staring into that cup, reaches in and pulls out a diaper. And you see, that's how the <laughs> trick worked. Diapers are absorbent. Um, yeah, he... Um, I mean, the tricky part about it is coming up with tricks that... Like inventing how a trick might work that is not really how a, ma a magician would ever do that trick in the real world. Because in magic, you I can wondered, get very testy about the exposure of tricks. I wondered about that. Yeah. So, the, so you're so so you're revealing fake <clears throat> magic that actually works. Yes. Kind of like <laughs> wow, you know, that's and that's what Penn and Teller would kind of do for years. They were always the bad boys of magic where, you know, they'd have this reputation of revealing the tricks, but it was always a trick or an illusion that they invented for the purposes mm -hmm. of, and often how it was done is a little more like Rube Goldbergy and impractical than a magician would ever right. do. So, um, yeah, that's what I, that was the, the fun part to, to figure out for those videos with, with Jackson was what are tricks that I wouldn't be, you know, getting magician enemies from. <laughs> So I know that you grew up in St. Louis. You, um, what are your parents like? Well, my mother, and she passed away a couple months ago, but she oh, was. I'm it, so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. It, she, she had Alzheimer's for a decade. So it was, it was uh, you know, it was something that we'd all been 
kind of mentally and emotionally preparing for. She was an interior designer and very, very like artist, like very, just exciting, flamboyant and, you know, like late to everything, not really like adapting to the, you know, like the, 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 the real world, but she was very successful interior designer, but you know, like such a, what, what side of the brain would it be? Such a right brain. I think, the creative, the creative side of the brain, you know, left, left brain, I think, whichever side it is. So, so, so just so, um, enthusiastic about, you know, not just her design, but just like school projects and, and this, and, you know, would, would, would help me paint posters when I'm running for treasurer and like loved the magic, like was so supportive of the magic, very much fueled this kind of like, you can do anything you want to do, you know, creative, whatever your, your, your talent, your, I, you know, I, I love everything you're doing type of thing. And then my dad also very supportive of the magic, but kind of from a business side of things, it was like, mm-hmm. okay, well let's let, you know, you should, we should make business cards and you should have flyers up and you should, we could be, you could be doing gigs at birthday parties and stuff. And he would show for me around. So he was like, he wouldn't, he didn't have the tools to necessarily nurture the creative aspect of it, but absolutely could see the entrepreneurial aspect of it. He was a airline pilot for years, so he would travel a lot. So I would be, you know, he would be gone three, four days of the week. So it was kind of my mom running the ship and, you know, she was kind of loose and lax with discipline and everything. And my sister and I would kind of a little bit run amok and take advantage of it, but we, we loved it. So I kind of grew up as a mama's boy for sure. But my dad, my, you know, they've, they very much had non overlapping skill sets to impart on their children. So it was a, mm-hmm. it was a good thing. Yeah. Um, how are you doing with the grief? And I, I have to ask because at the beginning of the lockdown, one of my listeners lost her mother, not from COVID, but still, um, I was doing, I still sometimes do shows where I take calls and I ask people, you know, how are you guys doing with, with COVID and all this? And so she reached out to me. She said that she like wanted to call, but just couldn't bring herself to leave a message. But she was really struggling with losing her mom, who she was very close to. And, um, I, I tried to connect her with other listeners that I, uh, who've lost parents recently. And it's just been on my mind, um, and yeah, and, and you lost your mom a couple of months ago. How, how, how are well, you? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, grief wise, obviously it was like very, very difficult and shocking at, for, at first, no matter how mentally prepared you think you are. But like Alzheimer's is such a slow burn that before you know it, like, you know, even just thinking back on the past couple years, like three years ago versus two and one, like, you know, just the deterioration of, who she is socially and the things that she remembers and seeing kind of how much uh, stress it puts on her to not be a burden in social situations and trying to keep up or pretend like she's following along. And, and, you know, you could, you see that eventually go. So there's just a lot of this um, strain on her. So there's you, the comforting thing is knowing that there's no more suffering, you know, like knowing that, Every, knowing that every day was very much confusion filled, you know, when you're dealing with Alzheimer's and you just can't help, but like just empathize so much about like, oh God, I mean, and also, you know, like my dad was a real champion in the past couple of years being her caretaker, but 
you know, just, just knowing that she doesn't have to, you know, be confused and, and, you know, and, and deteriorate even worse is a relief. So that focusing on that and being grateful for that there's no more pain and stress anymore is helpful with the grief. You know, like I know a Mm -hmm. lot of people when they lose a parent, especially if it comes suddenly or if it's, you know, cancer or something that, you know, like uh, they're otherwise healthy and with it. And there's this thing that's just invading their body. Like, like I I feel like that would be even more difficult in terms of the grief. I mean, with Alzheimer's, it kind of, the grief is stretched out over 10 years. So maybe collectively, like it's, it's, it was pretty awful seeing it go over the years and you kind of anticipate it. And, you know, my sister and I, lots of tears, you know, just kind of like seeing little snippets of your mom's personality, uh, vanish. And, Mm uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of grieving a thousand times over the course of 10 years makes that final grief, maybe not as, you know, burdensome, but, um, right. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's the, the hard thing is not, you know, because of COVID, like not having it be safe to go home, you know, to see my, my, my dad and, you know, and to see my sister. I mean, luckily technology makes it pretty powerful to connect from afar. Yeah. Right. Not the same though. Not the same though. Not the same. Yeah. Um, so many years ago, I lost a friend to suicide and was very, very uh, devastated by that. And I remember a therapist, and then I became very worried about deaths of everyone close to me. Um, And I remember a therapist saying, you can't really prepare for someone's death. Mm. Because I think I had this idea that like, if I grieve, I think my, my dad is still here, but he got, he had some health problems and, was sick and I don't know it's it was so long ago but I think that maybe I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna prepare now for it and then she was like it's gonna hurt no matter what Mm -hmm. like you can't get out of that yeah you know I and I'm I'm with with the Alzheimer's it's weird because for many many years it's it's kind of invisible like I used to say like Oh yeah, she's had Alzheimer's. It's, you know, it's moderate, but she could fool you for a couple minutes in conversation, you know, like if it's loose small talk. So you kind of, and, and, you know, physically great, you know, spry. And so it is, it's a, it's a, it's a real psychological, uh, you know, brain trip because it's like just there beneath the we'll surface. I'll we'll call it a mind fuck. Let's call it a mind fuck. It's a mind fuck. Until it becomes impossible to ignore anymore, you know, but, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can't prepare, you can't prepare for it. I mean, you can, I mean, it's good to think about losing the people that you love so that you don't take the time you have with them for granted, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, if anything, like that's a gift that I got, at least knowing that it's, you know, coming within the next few years, you know, knowing your mom's probably not going to live till a hundred makes you really cherish, you know, these memories and it makes them emotional when they're happening because, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of experiencing like just a lovely dinner with like all this foresight like oh, what if this is the last lovely dinner you know because when you live in different places you don't see your parents as much so i think that's a good part about mm-hmm. you know knowing 
memento morying, you know, the people that you love. And now just being a dad, you know, uh, and I just turned 40 last month. Not that I'm, you know, think I'm going to, but, but I used to never think about my own mortality. So that, Mm -hmm. that also becomes a thing. Um, you know, my wife and I were really swept up in the sad story of, uh, you know, Amanda Klutz and her husband, Nick Cordero, who's a Broadway star and got COVID early on and just, you know, was in the hospital for 90 to a hundred days, all these complications and in a coma. And he was so young, he was my age. So it's really it was hard to see that because he was otherwise healthy. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the COVID and pneumonia, all these complications, it's like, wow, like it really, like nobody is safe from Mm -hmm. just the Reaper, you know? And, and so it kind of made you really think about like, okay, like time, time's a a wasting, make the most. The, the, the gift of the quarantine, I think has just been that, you know, normally I'm traveling, every weekend, you know, and maybe missing these little milestones with my son and missing the bedtime stories and and everything. And while it is tough not having, you know, babysitters or nannies and, you know, like not having a break, you Mm -hmm. do like, I've, you know, we've had what, I don't even know how many days it's been, but five months of nightly bedtimes and wake ups. And so that's, that's, he won't remember that, unfortunately. He won't remember what a good dad I was in 2020, but but I will. You, you got to remind him. I will. Oh, I will. <laughs> How old is he? He just yesterday turned 20 months. Oh. You know how you do the months. And, yeah. So, so yeah. he's four months four shy months of two. Four months shy of two. So he's... He's doing things. He's on the cusp, nice. I hope, of a vocabulary breakthrough. Right now he's got mama, dada... Ball, agua, luna. I think that might be it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. So one Okay, and yeah. And my first started talking, like around one, I'd say. Um, I mean, not a lot, but he did. But then Owen, my second, is... He only has a few words, and I'm starting to wonder. Okay, well, maybe together we're, we're they'll with, have a breakthrough. Where Owen is his name? Owen is his name. Yeah, yeah. We're we're in that same boat where we're kind of like, man, you know, we've we've heard that they should be talking more by now. He understands right. everything. He knows all these words. We do flashcards, right. and he know he'll point to the almost like he's bored with it. Yes, banana, <laughs> monkey, this, this, this. Let's go play with balls. So yeah. So uh, hopefully he'll he'll he'll. He'll emote soon. Right. I bet he will. I bet he will. Um, so I have some questions here from uh, – so I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go to, for behind-the-scenes stuff, bonus episodes, etc. cetera. Um, and I take questions there, and then I also take them on Twitter. And uh, I saw on Twitter song. you had some good ones. Yes. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right. Jonas Rays would like to know, which of his magic tricks was the most complicated to pull off? Mm. Okay. Jonas. I mean, they are all... They're all hard. And like, I... and And... 
you know, when you had asked before, like, was that grinding or something? I think you were referring to the failed pilot, failed pilot success. The, those, that was like, you know, that wasn't grinding because it was, there was like no loss of enthusiasm. It was in making a season of magic for humans. Like that is a very difficult physical, emotional grind because we're like, with magic, you can't just like write write the script and then go out and do it because you don't know you don't know what bit's gonna be good. You don't know what trick's gonna be good until you do it in the real world. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the, the 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 killer first trick is in an episode of the last bit. And magic is hard. And often, like when there's a trick we're doing where it feels like, oh, got it. This is gonna be easy. Like I now know that that should be a red flag. That it's either bad. <laughs> won't be impressive or full like it should it's nothing none of the real good ones that people talk about are easy so let me think of a good example of a really hard one i mean season three in the first episode we did a bit where we tried to influence the influencers and you know try to subliminally influence them to all make the same decision and that was like really hard because it was like this uh you know very you know, it's kind of mentalism is the genre of magic. So it's not like you're tangibly building something. You're kind of like, you know, we had these Venn diagrams and like kind of like a, you know, like tracking a serial killer strings on the wall just to try to paint the picture of what it is we're trying to get them to do. So this was just a complicated, complex thing. And we, you know, only could do it once. You know, you can't really do it once and be like, okay, let's do it all again because once they know what <laughs> right. you're up to. So that was really hard and we got really lucky. Trick wise, like, um, you know, season one of the show, I did a bit where I lured people into the back of a van and told them that I was going to remove their NSA chips. So it's kind of like, you know, feeding into people's conspiracy theories, thinking that, you know, that I didn't realize how many people think that we've, we've either been microchipped or that the government is out to microchip them. I didn't. That, dude, that's what COVID is about. I, it's, it's scary. It's about the vaccine. It's about the vaccine. Well, it was very easy to get people to think that I was legit. I mean, and, and I have this little device that I made. It was like a modified penis pump, you know, to remove <laughs> these things. So this was a hard trick because I wanted to, I tried it twice in both of the Comedy Central pilots because I, I just thought it'd be funny to do psychic surgery, which is this old kind of premise where you're removing stuff from people with a trick, but do it about, NSA chips. And, um, we took a while just to get the trick to look right and figure out the technique. So that was a really hard one, but again, like it was so hard, but felt so good to get it right. Eventually, maybe five years in the works. Mm-hmm. Thanks Jonas. Okay. You thought Jonas was done, but he's just getting started. He also says my son loves the two social distancing magician starter kits that Justin sold online these past few months. Would he ever start selling other magic kits as monthly subscription crates? But I want to insert my own question in there, which is, can you tell us about these magic? Oh yeah. So early on in quarantine, which feels like forever ago, but March, um, you know, the world's going through this thing and you kind of feel like, oh God, I need, I should be doing something to help. What do I do? But I, we're not supposed to leave the house. And I've always been wanting to make a magic kit because two reasons. One, uh, I got a magic kit for my birthday when I was a kid. That's what sparked, you know, my life. But a lot of magic kits are kind of crappy or maybe there's a good trick or two in it, but the instructions are really hard to read. They're translated from English to Chinese back to English or something like it's like the stuff that is geared towards teaching a seven-year-old magic is very 
disheartening. So I remember mm-hmm. just, you know, you kind of feel like um, I must be dumb or I'm doing it wrong. Anyway, I'd always wanted to make a magic kit, just never had the time to sit down and like curate it. So COVID, thanks COVID for the time. So I made <laughs> the social distancing magician starter kit to raise money for uh, directrelief.org, but also just like, you know, put together a bunch of good tricks. And then so around the house for for the next month, once I had this idea, my, my wife helped me shoot all the instructional. So as opposed to having read instructions, I have ADD. I do not want to read instructions. So there's no instructions. You get like a little link to a website and then there's a bunch of homemade videos of me teaching the tricks or me oh, and my wife, really cool. like me doing it for my wife. And, you know, she's, you know, in some of the videos, she kind of looks like a, like a hostage. Like I do not want to be <laughs> up against the bookcase here watching a card trick, but, but uh, it worked great. And we, pe- people love them. So then I made a, a second kit because people are like, I want to learn more magic. So now I got two kits. That's so cool. So, um, will I do more? Show, which- I don't know. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work cause I don't want to do it unless I do it right. So, Right. I mean, we'll see how long this pandemic goes on. Maybe I'll be like, okay, we're going to do a subscription. Please. I need, I need to connect with the world, but it's fun watching, you know, parents tag me in the videos of their kids doing magic over zoom for their grandparents. And it's really sweet. What age are they for? Would you say? I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of parents and adults who buy them for themselves. I'd say it's age six and up seven and up. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they want to see these magic kits and if you want to see this whole, this whole video will be on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. Uh, you can go find it there. Okay. Jonathan Feldman says, as a magician himself, how does he approach watching the illusions of others? Does he prefer to keep the illusion a mystery to himself or does he work on figuring out how it's done? Mm. Good question. I mean, that's one of the things about magic is, you know, as a magician, it's really hard to watch it as a <clears throat> as a as a layperson, as a non magician ever again, because you know how most of the things work. So I try the best I can to like just watch like a normal person, because when I can get when I get fooled, I, I, I love it. Like it's really great. It reminds you. It's it's that feeling of like awe watching Harry Blackstone Jr. make a birdcage and disappear as a kid, mm-hmm. and then eventually you learn how all the things work, so you can never not know. But sometimes, you know, and very often, you know, luckily I, I'm friends with a bunch of incredible magicians who will do things that fool me or I'll see Penn and Teller or David Blaine do something that just like, I, I don't know. Now I do eventually want to know because it's kind of like a, holy shit, that fooled me. Okay. Let me, let me, let me think hard about this. You know, like Darren Brown, brilliant British mentalist and magician, you know, his, his stuff is so just diabolical and fooling because I feel like when something fools you, I like to appreciate it, soak that in and then figure out what I can learn from it. You know, like what did they do to create such a beautiful mystery? Not to ruin it for myself, but just to see what, what the technique or the scripting or how, how was I misdirected in a way that made that a beautiful moment of wonder for me? Yeah. Will magicians always tell each other, how you guys do it? No, not always. I mean, sometimes, sometimes they will, but a lot of times magicians know if they have something that is a magician fooler, that they will try to guard that secret as long as they can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This is a fill in the blank. Whitney C says, this is for, this is for you. I can have a little blank as a treat. 
question mark? How would you fill in that blank? I can have a little blank as a treat. I can have a little nap as a treat. Mm. Now that's a, and I can't. That's the thing. I, I've <laughs> never, I haven't napped in a very long time, but it sounds nice. It sounds like a treat. But what a treat it would what be a treat. if you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, Jennifer says, and I'll have to explain this one. I am sure everyone will want to know his take on bar flare versus juggling versus card shuffling awkwardness, as well as what the exact name of the card shuffle that you wanted to learn. Okay, this has been an ongoing thing on my show. Okay. On a recent episode, I shared that I've always <clears throat> wanted to be able to do cool card shuffling, like where you just like accordion the cards like, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, what is the name of that shuffle? Like, do you know like what I mean? Just the classic, or this one? No, like where you go, like, oh. like where you shoot them from. I had heard actually from, I'm pretty sure it was from Bellamy Blackstone, Harry Blackstone's daughter, that it's called the Russian shuffle because one card is Russian after the next. We, yeah, that's one of the jokes I used to use in my hacky days. Uh, oh, maybe she was just doing a joke. I think she was doing a joke, but uh, they call it a. Uh, well, there's the dribble the cards. Can you, uh, then they call it the, the, do the snake where it's like, it looks like a snake, but this one is riffle the cards. Can you riff? Oh, Crap, riffle. I don't even, I can't Maybe that's know right. the basic word here. Um, spring, springing the cards. Do you have a, a, de- a deck of cards I'm right me there? See. Where are they? Cause I'll wait. Let me see here. Hold on. I must. You guys, this is what I've been waiting for. About to get good. Okay. Just dropped them. I just sprung them. Okay. It's it's not a full deck, Allison. That's okay. You're not playing with a... (gasps) Oh, that was embarrassing. Yeah. But it's still... But did you... I mean, I just... Just the sound got me excited. Trying to hold it up high enough to see. Yeah. That's the idea. That's so cool. What's the snake one? The snake one, I don't really like. There's a whole genre of magic. It's magic juggling called cardistry, like art, cardistry. artistry, but cardistry, where they do stuff like that. So it's like the snake is kind of like holding the deck and like, where the cards kind of like create a little, they look like a snake. Uh, and then I there's mean, just, <laughs> you know. Oh my God. That's the vomiting the cards. That's, uh, I used to do that in my act, in my, in my hacky days, I'd say I'm up to two packs a day. <clears throat> Got to <laughs> So that's fun. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you. So, so bar flare, okay. card, uh, card shuffles, so, and juggling. So let me, okay. So I said, I shared with my friends on the show that I have always wanted to be able to like do cool shuffling like this because wouldn't that be so cool? And then my friend Wendy, um, a writer for Bob's Burgers, was like, wait a minute cool and i'm like yeah and she's like honestly if you did that if i came over and then all of a sudden you did that the next time i saw someone who knows both of us i would be like i have to tell you what just happened with allison like what's going on with her Uh and then some i don't know how it turned into this but somehow the question became which is the weirdest thing you go to someone's house which is the weirdest one for them to do like you're just in their kitchen hanging out and all of a sudden they're like doing these, they're cart, doing cardistry, A. Mm-hmm. B, they just like all of a sudden start juggling fruit or C, they all of a sudden start doing bar flare. Like which is the weirdest? Well, it all but depends on I the context. Like, 
if someone's making a smoothie yeah. and they start juggling fruit before they do it, awesome. Wow. I have, I have a cool friend. If someone's making mm-hmm. you a cocktail, all of a sudden they're doing bar flare. Awesome. I have a cool friend. Oh, let's play cards. Oh, and you're doing cool shuffles. Wow. I have no, these are cool. But if it's out of these, context and you're not doing anything related context. to any of that, uh, I think any of them could feel strange. I would say, I mean, just doing something about bar flare, maybe out of nowhere feels like, are we, are you making a drink? We're not drinking. Okay. Then what the, what the hell are you doing? Like that feels mm-hmm. a little strange. Like you're just, but maybe it's some just jealous because that's the only one I can't do. Have you tried? I have not tried. I feel like you could. I bet. I bet you could do it. Well, hey, quarantine is is a time to to start a new hobby, so that could be one of them. That's right. Um, okay, some questions that came in on Twitter. Um, Carl Schweitzer says, a lot of magic tricks seem to be a variation on tricks others have done in the past, but I know magicians do create new ones. Which original magic trick is he most proud of and which ones are the most difficult to pull off? Mm, Great. Great. Which original trick am I most proud of? I mean, it's funny because I often get most proud. I get very proud of really clever adaptations of old things, you know, like, you know, season one, we did recreated the marshmallow test, the Stanford marshmallow experiment with the the marshmallow and can the kid wait. And we kind of incorporated it with a cup, which is just the old like cup and ball trick, but putting it in that new context, like that to me was really satisfying. Like, Oh wow. We took, we reinvented this old thing, you know? Um, but what new, you know, very rarely is something under the sun completely new and never been done. But I will say, gosh, they're all my babies. I, lo- I love them all. I think the microchip thing, what started out as like wanting to be a riff on psychic surgery, ended up being this thing that kind of felt new, you know, like with a, with a, with a penis pump, seeing a microchip burst through someone's skin like that. <clears throat> I don't know if, if it was still in the psychic surgery realm at that point. And I think that's where that's what's cool about an original idea can come out of what wasn't an original idea at the beginning, but the problem solving it takes to pull off that thing ends up becoming something that, Oh wow. It's not even that anymore. It's like never been done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nigel Grant says, not a question, but just as important, please thank Justin for donating his cameo earnings to the Sonia V. Willman Alzheimer's Research Foundation, as well as helping COVID-19 relief charities by selling items on his website store. He is a good man. Oh, Nigel. Thanks. I appreciate it. Is that your mom? No. It's not. Oh, yeah. Sonia V. Willman is my mom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Was that your mom tweeting? <laughs> Nigel's my mom. Uh Sean M, what is your favorite bit on the show and why is it magic for Susan's? And then also Randy Butternubs says, how hard was it to find Susan's for the magic for Susan's bit? So you should explain that lest anyone is unfamiliar. So early on in the writing phase for season one, we wanted to have these little short bumper, like little one minute things that would go between the longer segments. And, you know, we would put these cards up on the wall of pitches. And one of the cards that one of the writers came up with was just, how about we just do magic for Susan's? I was like, okay, please explain. No, there's nothing to explain. It's just magic for women. Only women named Susan. 
<laughs> so we were like, okay, well, we'll, we'll see when we run into a Susan. We ran into a Susan on the first shoot day by chance. And it was, it was, she was exactly like what you'd think a Susan would be like. So we we're like, we have to make this a segment. So we put an ad on Craigslist for Susan's. Are you Susan? Do you know anyone named Susan? Do you want to make 40 bucks <laughs> and have free lunch? They didn't know what they were coming to. And Susan's are available mm-hmm. by and large. They'll show up. So that's where that came, you know? Are Susan's Karen's? Mm-mm. Susan's are Susan's. <clears throat> Susan's are, I'm sure there's some Karen-y Susan's, but <laughs> Susan's, you know, pay with a check. They talk to the manager. They uh, well, Karen's are, talk to the manager. Yeah, they do. They yell at the manager. Oh, Susan's just Susan's talk to quietly uh, ask the manager, can we check this math? Well, you know, but Karen's, Karen's make a big thing. So right. magic for Karen's would be, it would be funny, but not in like a happy way. Susan's make right. you at least feel happy that Susan's exist. Magic for Karen's <laughs> would be a little more, you know, it would go, it would go viral more, but it would not be as enjoyable. So with magic for humans, how do you find the people on the street that you talk to? Are they like the Susan's you put a, you, you do Craigslist, mm-hmm. but with some of it, are you just in, Approaching people on the street? That's what the main the main goal is, to just pr- approach people on the street. Sometimes in L.A., the people you approach on the street, like, are uh, a little not – don't behave normally. Like, they're either actory or whatever, or they're very, they're very excited to be on your show, and then, they, you know, mm. that's a bad sign. So we will – I mean, Craigslist is kind of the best where we don't tell people what the show is or if – if it's like, hey, would you like to be a part of, uh, you know, a documentary we're shooting about technology or whatever, whatever kind of the misdirect is. So at least we get someone who's perked up about a topic and is willing to show up in a place to be, you know, somebody to do magic for. Because the magic is kind of a great element of surprise if they don't know I'm a magician right at first. But but the best people are always people you just wrangle on the fly. Hey, go go get that guy, you know. The one where they're eating donut holes, what did they think they were? Those were all those were all just people we pulled off the sidewalk. Yeah. So they were okay. I think I told them we're shooting a I think I lied. I was like, hey, hey it's Justin Willman from the Food Network. Hey, we're shooting a we're shooting a, oh. a thing about sweets. Would you mind helping us out? A little eating competition. Roped them in. <laughs> um okay. And Craig TL wants to know if you weren't a professional magician, what would you be doing as a job? I would probably, probably be, oh gosh, a weatherman. Really? Well, I went to school for broadcast journalism thinking I wanted to be like a, you know, an anchor or a news reporter, which is kind of magic adjacent. I mean, it's hosty, you know? So, uh, but then all that stuff was doing all the the beat, you know, covering your beat around Boston was always, it was also kind of depressing and, you know, mostly bad news. And, but although the weather is often, you know, in Boston, especially bad news, at least you don't have to, you know, you're the, you're the breath of fresh air in a newscast. So that was always kind of like, mm-hmm. well, if this magic thing doesn't work out, I can learn. And I feel like I'm insulting weather, weather people and meteorologists by just saying like, I can just be a weatherman. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot to do with it. You know, there's probably a degree I imagine in meteorology that you have to have. 
that I'm just like, you got to be able to like acting like I could do get that against. A, yeah. You got to be able to do this yeah. against a green screen. I mean, we're all doing yeah, that now. But in I the think Zoom you world. could do that. I, I, I think so. Yeah. We'll see. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. So I know I can't find it right now, but I know that someone wanted to know how did you get the um, food network gigs? Like how did mm, all that come mm. about? Oh yeah. Um, that was like a random audition. That was, you know, being in LA, like doing the magic, uh, I would go out for hosting auditions as well. Cause I was kind of thought of just, Oh, hosting gig is kind of like doing magic without the tricks. I don't know. You're just kind of, you know, keeping the thing moving. So that was a random audition for a pilot that I think I remember like in the waiting room, we're all kind of like, what is this a show about cupcakes? Oh God. Okay. This won't get picked up, <laughs> but let's do it. And, uh, yeah, got picked up, got made, did nine seasons. Who knew? Who knew? Which are you, when people recognize you on the street, what is it usually for? It used to be for Cupcake Wars for a very long time and still occasionally, but now it's mostly <clears throat> you're the magic guy, which mm. is, which is really all I've ever wanted <laughs> to, to, yeah. the cupcake thing was, it was so funny because at first when I'd be doing magic, people would be like, oh, the cupcake dude learned magic. And it's like, <laughs> no, it's not the way around. <laughs> Uh, Justin, thank you so much for thank for you, Allison. With me today, this is this was really um, lovely. It has been. Tell everyone where they can find you and what they should look out for, and do all your plugs. I'm easy to find. JustinWilman.com is my website. That's where, um, well, tour dates are when we're live touring again. Pick up your yeah, magic so kit. Right, right now, you have tour dates scheduled for December, right? That were rescheduled? I do, I do. I do. We'll see if those happen. Actually, you know what? I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to announce this weekend, but maybe this will come out after this weekend. It will come out Monday. Perfect. So I'm going to do a run of virtual shows oh, called cool. Magic for Humans at Home right here in my dining room. And <clears throat> I've kind of been crafting, you know, how does ma- how can magic adapt to this Zoom thing? So it's a, it's a show over Zoom with very cool. A big audience of people, very interactive, and I'm 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 excited like I know I've done a couple of comedy shows, you know, where I've done my magic and people have been doing comedy and it, it's, I feel bad because the, you know, the comedy really relies on real time back and forth. Uh, but magic somehow like can adapt really well and still pe- blow, blow people's minds through the camera. So that's going to start up here soon. So people can get those dates on my website as well. Instagram, nice. Justin Willman, you know, my name on all the things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and everyone, make sure you're subscribed to my podcast, subscribe to my other podcast as well, Childish. That's my parenting-ish podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. Um, we'll probably hit you up to come on that, that. show at some point. I love Greg Fitzsimmons. As, he's great, he's right? He's so great. Uh, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen, where you can see this video and other videos. Uh, and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And I'm on Cameo, cameo.com slash Allison Rosen. And you, we know you're on I Cameo. Am. Are you just cam- cameo.com slash Justin, Justin Willman? It's kind of been fun. All it's right. been a, it's, it's been fun. I mean, it feels good doing it for a good cause, but also like people really love, they, they love it, especially th- this time when it's like, what do I give so-and-so right. as a gift? It's kind of, uh, it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, I think it makes people happy. It does. Um, all right. Thank you You're again. So Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 
time But now we gotta go 